I'm Rosie, and this is your invitation to join me in my weekly musings, where I go into a little bit more of soul-searching. The stories of our lives create a beautifully colored tapestry, interwoven by connecting threads. When we follow these threads that are tugging at our hearts, we're open to each other's creativity and higher artistic frequencies. So here at the Mystic Rose Studio, you might hear some quirky sounds in the mountain setting. But wherever you are, and in the midst of all your quirky sounds all around you, I invite you to join me and keep following those threads. This is, this is, um, yeah, these are gold moments, uh, gems. I am getting better at actually introducing people because normally like somebody will come on and it just starts, you know, like we dive yeah, yeah. in and it goes. And then halfway through, I'm like, oh, I guess people don't know. Who oh, you yeah. Are, you know? oh, <laughs> but yeah. it's like, you don't need to know who a person is. Like you can just, just jump into yeah. our conversations, like at a party or something. But um, thanks Zach for coming in and trusting that I wasn't a spam bot. Like I slid <laughs> in your DM and have you been getting these, like, I know everybody has, but like these ridiculous, like, Oh my God, your aura, you need a reading your chakra. I've you know, seen, I haven't got one personally, but I've seen them. I've seen people like making fun of them and posting them on like uh, Twitter and Instagram yeah, stuff. And it's so it's it's crazy. It's it's gotten worse and they're impersonating, you know, people and it's it's funny actually. Like, yeah, that's exactly where I get my healing and readings from is <laughs> like, you know, yeah, people that I don't know, but so I asked you because I follow you and we'll talk about why and um you're hilarious and um you, I, I made sure to like, I'm a real person. Let me send you like who I am and my information, you know? Um, and we finally made it happen a couple yeah, I'm sorry. months later. <laughs> I know we originally said January and then like everybody, but me, every, I have, I have, um, a wife and two kids and they, all three of them got COVID and somehow mm. I didn't, I don't know if it's just, um, I am like the natural hermit, you know? So like yeah. as soon as they said they had COVID, they kind of quarantined to like um, our house is like two stories. And so mm. they stayed upstairs like for, you know, basically like 10 days, I think. And then so we just happened to have like a guest bedroom downstairs. And so I just stayed in the guest bedroom like for the all 10 days. And um, it was great because I took that time. I'm always like my friends make fun of me cause I'm so far behind on like movies, you know, <laughs> I've, I've caught up a lot more recently um, where I've actually had time to do it. But like back in, you know, four or five years ago, um, like, like all the Marvel movies. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Like I had to watch, I think I had to watch like six Marvel movies to get caught up to like before I could watch Endgame. Oh, and all yeah. my friends were like, what have you been doing? I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I just don't, I just hadn't been paying attention, but, during those like 10 days, I, um, I decided to watch all of the, um, like the more artsier movies that I've mm. that have been on my list. Cause you know, I, the kids and, and my wife were upstairs. And so I watched like, I watched three or four like Terrence Malick movies that I had never seen. 
and I watched uh, Martin Scorsese's Silence, which mm-hmm. I had never seen yet. And so it was, you know, it was like a, a, it was as good as it could be, you know, with making sure the family was okay. Um, and, and, you know, thank goodness it was, it was all minor, minor issues of, of COVID. But for me, it was fun because I, I got to go into hermit mode and catch up on all these movies, you know. I know. I'm like, wow, this sounds like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm sure if you asked my wife, she would tell you like the complete opposite. Like, no, yeah, yeah like you COVID. were living your dream and we were yeah, in hell. No, <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's no joke. It sucks. It takes you out. Um, I mean, I want to say like, you know, I still took care of them. I still like, you know, yeah. I still made sure they were OK. It's not like I didn't talk to them for 10 days. <laughs> Yeah, like slipping the food under the <laughs> under the door, the prison yeah, cell. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the prison cell. Oh my gosh, uh, this is perfect. Um, like I, I feel like uh, I don't even need to explain like myself and my thought process with you because, like, oh okay. Like I, I feel that. Well, let me backpedal. Actually, so uh, Zach is the creator the host of Enneagram 4 and Enneagram 4 Confessions, sorry, Enneagram 4 Confessions on a podcast and also on Instagram. Um, I think the thing that was, that really like made this different, because you know, when you get into something, all of a sudden you follow everything and you have to get all the information and you just get immersed in it and you take it all in. And then you start kind of like, navigating through like oh no this is these are the few that I really want to keep like everything kind of falls away and then these are the ones that that re- that stick right and for me when I looked up Enneagram the four with the wings made the difference in the world right because like there's the different descriptions and we'll go into that if anyone's kind of lost here sorry this is how <laughs> this is how my brain works and I talk yeah, it's um, fun. Yeah. So in your uh, Instagram, you'll see that it says random reflections, confessions, musings of Enneagram 4. And then what I love is you have Christian mystic. And then you have a couple other personality kind of types, which I I feel like every four wing five is probably an INFP. Like, yeah. And I think it's, it's probably like INFP or like there's a ton that are like INFJs. Right. Like the, but like it's the intuitive. Type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what are the others, the SO and FX? Um, those stands like, and you know, I'm, it, I'm, I try to make, make it known that like the, the account isn't like an account to like teach you everything about exactly. like fours. It's just, yeah. You know, I, it says right there, like, these are just my thoughts, like yeah. my musings, you know, the thoughts, the musings of an Enneagram 4, you know, so yes. not everybody's the same. Um, and like, it, at one point, I was like, super into the Enneagram. And then it kind of like, I don't know if this is a four thing, but it, it, it kind of like, when everybody started getting into it, I was like, Ugh. like, Boring. you know, it, it kind of yeah. lost its appeal, you know. <laughs> um, but so like, I'm trying to remember exactly what they're called. I've sat, I know I sound like an idiot, but who cares? Um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> there's like, there's the That's different, um, each Enneagram number has like a, um, it's the instincts. That's what they're called. So there's like the oh, social instincts. Okay. There's this, uh, like a sexual instinct. 
Okay. And a self-preservation instinct. Those are like the three main instincts that everyone like kind of has the main one. And um, for me, like that, so the SOSX stands for like social, a social, like sexual instinct. And it's kind of like stacked on each other. And so whichever one, you know, and you just have to like Google it, find whichever one resonates with you the most. Yeah. Um, for me, like social is the top because um, the is social fours base everything on like shame within like a group setting. Mm. Um, and I'm totally, I'm totally probably not doing justice to that. But it's like social fours, uh, they really care about what they look like like in, in the group setting. Um, and then I'll, they struggle a lot with shame, not feeling good enough. Um, mm-hmm. you know, envy is like the big um, struggle with fours, not always feeling like, you know, like my, my best friends, for example. I have a couple uh, really close friends and it's really easy for me to look at their lives and then automatically say like, well, my life is a failure. <laughs> because mm, they, yeah. You know, I look at them and I say, wow, they have it all together. They, mm-hmm. you know, they know what they're doing. They know how they're doing it. Um, you know, and it's, and all that's really a facade, right? Like that's not, if I would, if I were to ask them, they would say, dude, I don't, you know, I don't have it all together. But from yeah. my viewpoint, like everybody but me kind of has it together. And so I live my life through that envy slash uh, shame, right? Of like, ugh, like I suck because I don't have it together. If I did have it together, like everybody else, then like life would be great. And so for me, like the social aspect of that is, um, you know, I grew up um, in like a fundamental, like conservative church setting. (laughs) So um, and a lot of it goes into my background story, too. Um, You know, my parents split when I was five. and. I basically lied to myself like the first 30 years of my life and said, oh, it, it didn't really affect me. You know, like I, it was just how it was. You know, it was it was it didn't affect me. Then like it, when I hit my mid 30s, it was like, oh, my God, like I have all of this repressed, hidden stuff that I've you know not worked on and it's making me into who I am today. And so, um, you know, when my parents split, it basically uh, instilled in me that like love or anything good like doesn't last mm-hmm. so that was kind of like the the glasses that i saw the world through like my whole um you know adolescent preteen, even teenage years life and so like and this this is probably a four thing too where um we want all the love that we could get but at the same time we want to push it all away Mm-hmm. You know, and and mm-hmm. you know my my wife loves that about me by the way um how like one minute i can be like love me love me love you love me and then the next minute i'm like no get away get away yeah. and then like <laughs> a minute later i'm like but why don't you love me like why yeah. why don't you love me um <laughs> but so like um my teenage years um i was looking for that um you know missing love, I guess, or that missing acceptance that I felt like I never got, but it was never going to be real anyway. So why look for it? But at the same time, I was dying for it. You know, the Mm -hmm. the great catch 22, um, irony of it all. And so, um, 
in middle school, like I started, I started like doing, you know, minor drugs and like drinking and stuff. I think number one to like numb the pain mm-hmm. and then number two to like fit in. Um, Cause I would like to think like, I really didn't care about doing drugs, but everybody that I hung out with were starting to do them. And so if I wanted to, you know, be a part of this group that was giving me this acceptance and this affirmation that I had never had before. I felt like I might, you know, I had to do it, but at the same time, it didn't hurt that it also numbed me from, you know, the feeling all the, the hurt anyway. Um, and so when I'm trying to think in ninth grade, um, my best friend, the summer going into ninth grade, my best friend went to this like charismatic um, Christian camp and he came back, you know, like quote unquote on fire for God. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so the whole ninth grade year, he was just like, Hey man, you got to go to this camp. You got to go to this camp. And I've always been like an accepting, like open person. So I'm like, you know, Hey, like if that's, if that works for you, that's great. You know, I'm not going to judge you for doing that, you know, going to that camp, but like, no, like I'm not going. And so like, he straight up asked me like every month until like April. So, I mean, it was like, you know, 10 months straight, like this day after day, man, you got to go to this camp, you got to go to this camp. And so like in April, the camp was in like the, one of the first weeks in June. And so like, I finally said I would go just to like, shut him up. I was like, mm-hmm. I'll go to this camp if you just shut up. Like, if you just stop asking me. Like, um, and so I remember thinking, um, actually, I think it was the night before I went to the camp. Um, and I'm an only child as well. So, like, I'm, I'm acquainted with, like, uh, solitude, you know. So mm-hmm. I remember sitting in my room, which is basically all I did. <laughs> um, and... I remember telling myself, like, I'm not changing for anybody or anything. Like, I'm going to stay who I am. And then, like, you know, because I remember saying to myself, because, you know, I'm happy where I'm at, um, which was like, yeah, I was probably just lying to myself. Um, but so I went to that camp. And at that point in my life, um, you know, I was in ninth grade going into 10th grade and I was I was, you know, I struggled with like weight my whole life. And so insecurity with that, you know, and so I was, I probably weighed close to like 300 pounds. And, um, at that point, you know, this was like 1996. So I was like super into like the grunge scene. And so like, I had like, I had long hair and I would go like two or three weeks without washing my hair, you know, and I just wore like the, you know, the, the, the baggy clothes and the, you know, the, you know, the style of the day, which is kind of like coming back now, but, um, yeah, but it was, the, I, you know, I stepped out of the car and I was just like, I don't want to be here. Like, this is going to suck. Um, cause you know, I had had like church experience. My, my parents, um, had kind of taken me to like Baptist church experiences and it was just like the most boringest thing ever. Right. Especially for like a 10 year old. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember like, I remember during, like, I would just sit and literally watch the clock tick. Like, God, get me out of here. Um, <laughs> so, like, at this camp, um, the first thing that caught my attention was, um, here's this guy who looks nothing like anybody else there. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as I got out of the car, 
there was this kind of like unconditional acceptance and love from these people who like looked nothing like me um, and acted nothing like me. And that, if I can, if you know, if I could say that was probably like the beginnings of like the flickering or the awakening in my heart. Um, mm. So like the first night, uh, they would do like you know skits and stuff at the beginning, and um, you know back in the '90s Christianity, there was um, there was mime teams, which you know people dress like mimes, and then maybe this was just like a super charismatic thing. I don't know, but like people dressed with like mimes, like had the white makeup on and they would like mime out like Christian songs and stuff. It's like super cheesy now. Um, and so that was like the first part. And then they would do like the praise and worship, you know, and then, then they would be like the preaching or whatever. And so I remember the first night um, I sat in the back by myself. Cause I was like, Hey, I'm here. I don't want anything to do with this. Um, they can, you know, let they can do whatever they want to do. That's fine with me. I'm back here by myself. Nobody, as long as nobody talks to me, I'll be fine. Um, and then I remember like that night going back to the cabin and still like the people, the guys that were in my cabin, like there was just no judgment for them. It was like, they, you know, talking to me because they were actually interested, you know, in me. Mm -hmm. It was, it was like the first time in my life. I never felt like I had to like do anything to gain approval or acceptance, you know? Um, and so the second night, um, they invited me to sit with uh, with them, my my cabin mates or whatever. Um, invited me to sit with them on the second row, and I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like I'll sit with you guys. And um, so I went and sat with them on the second row. And this is where, like, I know that God has like like this crazy, foolish, like sense of humor, because mm -hmm. um, like my story, like. And it, it's hard to talk about because, like, it, it, I know that it it just doesn't compute to people. Um, mm -hmm. Wait till so you hear mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, in the nineties, um, the okay, the mime team what performed at the beginning of the night, and in the nineties there was this. I don't even know how to describe them. Um, it was like a a a Las Vegas casino. Uh, like wannabe rapper named Carmen. I don't know if you ever heard of Carmen. Uh -oh. I mean, he recently he recently passed away, so I don't want to like you know. No, you know, right. God but, bless uh, him. Rest his soul. Not, it was. It is what it is, though, right? Like if you if you go like Google Carmen, listen to some of his stuff. It is like it's just, it's the most cheesiest stuff ever. Like he would do like he had a song about like uh, an old western and like the devil was a gunslinger and then Jesus was another gunslinger and they had a draw at sundown, you know, and, and like Jesus shot the devil in one. So that was, that was the kind of stuff. And so there was a song, that he, another song that he had that they, that they were doing a, uh, a mime to that night where it was basically like uh Rocky, the movie Rocky. Mm. And it was, Jesus was Rocky and, the devil was like whoever the bad guy. It was like, you know, Jesus versus the devil in a boxing match, right? So that was the whole thing. And um, so at the end of the song, um, you know, the devil knocks Jesus down. And then God is like the referee. Um, and so, you know, in real boxing, they count to 10 from like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
and then you know whatever happens but in the song um it said god was the referee and god began to count but instead of counting from one to ten he counted from like ten to one right and so like in the song like when god gets to one jesus rises off the mat you know defeats the devil you know happy ending um and so the best way that i can describe it and this is where like my whole story gets just weird and um people are like just kind of have the glossy glossed over eyes when i tell it like when um you know counted from 10 to 1 when it got to 1 and when the kid who was playing Jesus like rose up off of the ground. The best way that I could describe it was like a lightning bolt, like struck my heart. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was sitting there, I wasn't looking for it. Um, you know, I wasn't a church person. Um, you know, it wasn't something I, I knew, I even knew what was going on. Right. It was like, it was what I would call now like a mystical experience, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was like in that instant, like in an instant, like everything changed for me. And I and I hesitate to say that because I have like friends who like really have these like faith struggles. And I know tons of people have these struggles with faith. Um, but like for me, it was like in that instant, like I knew, like I saw everything kind of. It was mm-hmm. like I saw the mm-hmm. beauty of the cosmos. And it was like in the instant, like I knew that Christ was worth living for you know Mm -hmm. that this is and he was also you know this is what is worth giving it giving everything up for um it's what's worth living for um and in that instant like i just started having a conversation with god and i don't even remember the rest of the night like i know there was music i know there was preaching i don't remember any like I, i mean i remember it but I wasn't paying attention because mm-hmm. I was there in the second row, like having this mystical experience, yeah. um, you know, talking to God. And um, like ever since, like I left that camp, um, I think it kind of freaked my parents out because like I just instantly started going to church. Um, mm-hmm. I stopped hanging out with a bunch of the friends who had like the negative impact on me. Um, I started hanging out with like, you know, the the kids that I had met at that camp and I had developed some really great friends, you know, through that over the years. Um, but the thing tying it back into like the social part of the four is I began, you know, because I had lacked that, um, you know, the parental affirmation, the acceptance from my parents, I tied basically everything into, um, my identity with who I was at church mm-hmm. with the group, you know? And so I longed for uh, that affirmation and that acceptance that I had, you know, never really gotten my whole life. And so basically if I, if I ever screwed up. Zach, I think I lost your, your connection. Let's see if it's mine. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I thought it was weird that you were like so like still and quiet. And I was like, I think we're froze. <laughs> I was like, well, she's really listening. Like, she's <laughs> not even breathing. <laughs> no, but okay. So yeah. Um, 
So that really caused, you know, like a lot of, uh, with the social, you know, instinct of, of the four of like, there was this, I really cared about what the group thought because, um, they were now my family, right. That I, I never had. And so the only thing that my mind could think of was like, I've, I've already lost like my parents Mm. through divorce and split and stuff. So like, I have to walk on the razor's edge to not like lose this new family. And so, you know, it was like, it was, it was conservative and it was like fundamental and it was the nineties, like youth group vibe. So like the only thing, you know, we were always told, like the only thing that God cares about is like, you can't watch a radar movie. Mm -hmm. uh, You can't smoke cigarettes or drink and you can't watch, you can't listen to anything besides like vineyard, Hosanna, praise and worship, you know, like we might throw, we might let you listen to DC talk and audio adrenaline and all that, but like you know, your whole life was based off of like the culture pretty much. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like the stupidest stuff, like I would, I remember um, me and some friends watching like SNL one night and like after SNL, I felt so quote unquote convicted. Right. Cause like I had watched this blasphemous TV show and God was frowning down on me, um, which got me to the point of like, um, Ultimately, the experience that I had with God that first night, it began to weigh heavy on me. I guess if that's the right word, because the the God that I was continually experiencing, like in my quiet time or, you know, in my personal life, it it was almost like the road split. Right. And so here was me on my walk with God, having these experiences of God. But then on the other side where it split was who the church was start kept telling me who God was. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it seemed like they just kept getting farther and farther apart for me. Um, because I would have these moments with God of just like acceptance and affirmation. Um, and then I would go to church and the church would just make me feel like crap for doing something, mm-hmm. you know, and, but, I, but if you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I never felt that from my experiences with God. Um, and so I was really involved with church. Like I did, I, I was the praise and worship leader for a couple of churches. Um, and at one point it finally got to the point to where, um, I felt like if I stayed on staff at a church that I would literally lose, you know, my soul mm-hmm. just because of just how much it didn't, uh, it didn't go with, who I was experiencing, you know, as God in my personal life. Um, and I remember a lot of things that started it. Um, I've all there, there's a, um, a guy named Dallas Willard who has a book called divine conspiracy. And I've, I've heard people say like his, that book is like the gateway drug to like good theology. And I remember I tried reading it, um, in like 2006 and I, I just couldn't, for some reason it was, just, I don't know if it was just, you know, I, I thought it was just too boring or I thought it was too dense. 
So I put it down and then I ended up picking it up like four years later. And it was like my mind was blown, you know, with the stuff that he had to say, because the book is pretty much based on like a lot of it's based on like the, uh, the Lord's Prayer and what really is the kingdom of God. Like, what does the kingdom of God really look like? Stuff like that. And it was just like totally a new world for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that would, and it truly was for me. It was basically like the gateway drug book to like good theology. So like from there, I found myself reading, you know, um, just, I can't even name them all, like just tons of people. Um, I remember being blown away because like in, in my little, charismatic circle i remember you know being taught that like i can only read like um you know people from my own group Mm -hmm. right like just the charismatic people um or just the pentecostal people and so i remember like um when i first started reading you know like 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 catholic books like what like Mm -hmm. i remember people like you know we those catholics you can't trust them right but then like if i had to say like like Richard Rohr yeah. and um, um, like Thomas Merton. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. Like I remember the first time I read um, Thomas Merton's um, New Seeds of Contemplation. It was like mm. I was reading my whole life. Yeah. It was like these people like are reading me. Like they, like they put into words, you know, my whole life experience. And so basically um, – that kind of led me to the point of kind of like a worst nightmare experience for me because I came to my own crossroad that was like, okay, who am I going to go with here? Mm. Am I going to go with this God that I met? Um, what is that now going on like 25 years ago now? I can't, you know, that's the quick math. It's probably way off, but, um, you know, am I going to go with this God that I'm constantly experiencing? Um, or am I going to stuff all that in and keep going the route of, you know, quote unquote church, which is basically um, it adhering to this certain doctrine just so I can fit in you mm-hmm. know, and have a job, you know? So it was one of those nightmare, <laughs> was one of those nightmare experiences, um, because I knew I knew what I wanted to do, but it was reliving myself at five years old, right? Like I I was going to, there's no way around it. I was going to lose a great portion of my friends from that, and um, and so that actually led me to like start uh like using alcohol to medicate again because like I didn't, I was, it was so painful. The thought, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of repressed stuff going on. Um, it was just so painful. The thought of losing a family again that I just started like every day, um, just drinking to the point of like not feeling Mm -hmm. anything. Um, and I did that. I did that for like four or five months. Um, and then finally, you know, my wife, she realized it. um, I would try to hide it, but you know, you start doing that every day, you're not going to be able to hide it. And, um, she basically gave me like the ultimatum, you know, you need to get, you know, you need to get this under control or, you know, you need to get help. 
or we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, which again was like one more level of like, you know, God, here we go again. And so, no, I went, um, I started going to chemical uh, dependency counselor here in town and um, started going to therapy and stuff. And so this August, it'll, I'll be four years sober. Um, so, but in that, um, you know, therapy was great for me because it really allowed me to like hear myself say what it is I believe, you know, and who it is that I think that I, you know, who it is that I am. Um, and then when that started happening, it was almost like it just, I just didn't care what people thought. Mm-hmm. Anymore. Once I, once I realized like everything's okay. Yeah. Um, being true to myself is far more valuable and far more free. I mean, like everything, right. Val- far more valuable, far more freeing, um, far more peaceful, you know, far more, um, content being myself than living this life and trying to chase this, uh, mask of who people want me to be or who I felt like I needed to be. Um, and so it's one of those things where like, I'm still, um, the past year, maybe the past two years have been like the best two years of my life. Mm. Um, because I realized like, I, I don't have, I don't have to try to be somebody I'm not right. I can be my full self, um, weird as it may be. (laughs) Um, and just not feel bad about it. And so that kind of, and, and it's funny. Cause like I, when I started the Enneagram four confessions account on Instagram, it was kind of like me walking through that because at first I think I started it and I've always, I've always started it with like, I just want to share with people, uh, where I'm at, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Um, so like I put, I'll put like a, a quote that really talks to me on there and that's pretty much all I do. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll do a lot of poems. I'll do like pictures and stuff like that. Um, but for me, it's just like the past two years has been like an awakening. Um, I would probably say to like the five-year-old child in me who never got to be who he truly was Mm. because he thought he thought the world was ending. Um, so yeah, a lot of like contemplative prayer, a lot of silent time and a lot of therapy has been spent like me talking to that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) me talking to the Mm five-year-old back, you know, letting him know it's going to be okay. Um, you know, letting him know, you know, the pain, even though it hurts, it's, you know, it's not going to last and you'll be okay. But yeah, so that's kind of, uh, a roundabout story for me. I feel like that you know, all that needs to be said because you know it's 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 that it's the thing of life, right? That like when you're going through that stuff, like you hate it. Mm-hmm. You hate you hate the pain of it. You hate you know how hard it is. But then on the other side of it, you you look back and you say, "But I wouldn't change it." Exactly. Right. Like, and that's, that's like the, 
the uh the mystery of life right <laughs> the mystery of the journey that we're all on like yeah. there's just like as much crap as we have happened you know as much crap as i had happened to me like i still wouldn't change anything because it made me who i am you know sure there's stuff that i wish i wouldn't have done to like other people mm-hmm. you know right um you know, regrets with how I treated other people. But as far as like what, you know, the, the, the crazy stuff that happened to me that was formative, like it's one of those, um, ironies that's just like, even though it's, you know, there's that, what is that? The Bible verse says, even, even though you slay me still, I'll follow or something like that. Like even, you know, or, or I'll forget exactly what it says. Um, you know, but even though we have hard times in life, like you look back and you say, yeah, that was hell, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't have changed it, you know? <laughs> and I have conversations, you know, I'm still, I'm still friends with like two or three of those people from the camp that I went to. And we've all gone through various stages of, you know, what I guess you could call deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have one friend who's an atheist now. Um, I have another friend who, uh, considers himself a nun, you know, just, I guess I don't even that, you know, that's, there's that whole new group now, Yeah. which I don't know if they're agnostic or atheists or they just don't care. You know, he's, he's just like, I, I just don't care. Like whatever. I'm just trying to live my life. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. Um, but we have these conversations, you know, of like, man, can you believe we said this? Like, cause, cause you know, we, a lot of us were, um, um, there was, we, we went to a fairly big church here in town and a couple of us were interns, um, in, on the youth group and our youth group had like 150 kids. And so we were basically like running a church on our, on our own, you know, and, wow. and like we, you know, I was the worship leader another friend was like one of the, the speakers, you know? And so we all spoke and we had these videos from like 2002, 2003 that we, go back and watch and we just like cringe because we're just like oh my god like i can't believe i said that you know (laughs) like i was watching one me and my wife were watching one the other day and like i was preaching and i I said something like um it was something along the lines of um when god created the world ten thousand years ago and it was like i was just like oh my god i really said that like you cut off a little what did you say Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what's up with my neck. I remember saying, um, I was like preaching and it wasn't even like the point. It was like one of those little side things you throw out while you're preaching. But I, I said like, it was something along the lines of like, when God created the earth 10,000 years uh. ago. And I, I was just like, oh, you really said that. Because like, that was one of the things like, I would have fought you to the death over that. Right. You know, like, no, the world can't be billions of years old. No, it's, 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 it can't be any more than 10,000. It's proof. Like, (laughs) (sighs) but anyway, so, but, but no, and that's, that's, so that's in a a long way about the social. Um, (laughs) (laughs) On to the next one. (laughs) On to the, like, had to meet your wife. So, um, I didn't mean to cut you I met off, her, but it just, uh, no, no that's problem, on my no problem. Mind. So it was at church actually. Um, 
And she was actually one of the interns at the church that we went to. Um, when it's one of those things now, like <laughs> <laughs> we constantly have this conversation of like, why in the hell did I do this? Mm. Right out of high school, I went to a, like a community college here in town. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, by the mm. way. Um, so there's a, and I say small, but it's, it's a really big community college in Charlotte. I think it's got like, 40 or 50,000 people that go to it. Um, but I, my plan was I was going to go to this community college for two years and then I was going to transfer to like, uh, I forget the name of it now, but it was like an assembly. The Assemblies of God was like the church that I went to. And so like, it was like and everything had to be Assemblies of God. And so like, it was like, I was going to go to an Assemblies of God university mm. or college after those two years. And so I went a semester to this like the first semester out of high school, that first fall semester, I went to this community college. And then the youth pastor at this youth group that we went to. And like I said, it was, I mean, the church had like a thousand people or so. And then the youth group had like 150. And so um, the youth pastor, and I was like really involved, like already, like I started leading worship at like 16 and preaching at 16 and all this, all this stuff. And so um, the youth pastor was like, Hey, I'm going to start an internship. I want, you know, I want you to be a part of it. And he picked like four people in which my wife was, was one of them. She's, um, she's an Enneagram one, which is, you know, mm-hmm. they're uh, really organized, really like, uh, see the world in black and white. Um, there's always a plan, you know, um, which is amazing for me. Yeah. Um, I'm just totally like, I call her like, I'm the kite being blown by the wind and she's like the string. Oh my God. I like, use okay, that no. like, all the time with my husband. Yeah. The same it's thing. True. Like, yeah. And so like, um, that's how we met her. I, and until then I didn't know her, you know, like I said, the church was so big. Um, I just never seen her before, mm. she, but she had gone to church there for like three years. Um, and so she was a year younger than me. So she was a senior in high school. I had just graduated. And, um, that began our crazy relationship because like I ended up like breaking up with her twice. Third time's a charm, got back together. Like the second time was so bad. Um, I ended up moving to Illinois um, for three years to help. The youth pastor l- left the church here in Charlotte to go help at another church in Illinois. And I went with him to help. And then um, my wife moved to Nashville because she was she wanted to do stuff like in the Christian music scene. And so she moved to Nashville and got into like uh, management and stuff like that. She worked with like a, a couple management um, um, businesses who manage Christian artists. And she was like a, uh, what do you call them? A uh, tour manager for a couple people at some point. And um, so, but it was so bad. The second time I broke up with her, like we didn't even talk for three years. Like we, you know, back then it was like instant AOL instant messenger. So it was like blocked, blocked on instant messenger. We didn't have text or anything. <laughs> Or that was back when you had to pay like 10 cents a text or something, right? right? And so it was like, block the phone number, delete the phone number out of my flip phone, um, you know, block AOL instant messenger, you know, never email. And then so like after three years, um, I, I don't, I think what it was, I think I I was trying to get a job at a church as like a worship leader. And so I needed a resume, which I sucked at. And she was like really good at resumes. And so I think I just reached out to her. And I was like, hey, can you help me with this resume? 
Um, and then we started talking again and then like, it was just, it was, it just basically like clicked. Um, and so cause I felt like, you know, she had, she had seen me at my worst, mm-hmm. you know, she had lived through the hells that I had lived through. Um, she knew my background with my parents and stuff. And so I felt like, you know, this person like really knows me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if she can, you know, love me again, or if she can accept me again after I've broke her heart like twice, you know? Um, and so basically like we started, that was January of 2007 is when we like started talking again. And so, um, by May on, on mother's day of, uh, 2007, I asked her to marry me mm-hmm. and then we got married in, uh, November of 2007. So it happened pretty quick, right? Like we, we started talking again in January or so. And then by that November, the next November we were married, but it was like, we knew each other. Yeah. You know? I think from outside like, people think things are quick, but then you're like, no, yeah. but we've known each other for all these like times. We, yeah. Oh, we yeah. had been like, we had been on and off, you know, for like six years before that, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I, I made a joke too to my friends. Like, um, I asked her to marry me on Mother's Day. And like, I'm an only child who's the son. I was like, you know, so if you're asking somebody, and this is for, this is free advice for the listeners. <laughs> if you want to ask somebody to marry you, like, it's probably not a good idea to ask them on Mother's Day. Cause now, like, I feel like my mom is like the quintessential mother in law. And so it's like, I think it, the whole thing just started off wrong by like <laughs> me asking my wife to marry me on Mother's Day. Cause my mom, like, all of the attention got shifted off of my mom to my wife. And so my mom's kind of been like on a, uh, like hell bent hell, you know, like, a ever, like we've been married, it'll be 15 years in November now. And so like my mom, all 15 years is like hell bent on making my life, my wife's life a living, taking my one and only child from me. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> that's, uh, that's usually what uh, mother-in-laws do. <laughs> they'll uh, they'll yeah. let you know that you know. Um, and I hate to say it, but I mean it's this, you know. And, and my 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 relationship with my mom is probably, or it's not probably, it is the hardest relationship. Well, my 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 dad passed away five years ago now, um, and before you know even with both of my parents, I never felt like there was this acceptance or this care really. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad is, I would, my dad was a salesman. He was like the manager of a, um, appliance store, like my whole life mm-hmm. at one, he, you know, he, he worked, you know, store to store, different places, but he still did, um, like he was a salesman. And so basically he, I always felt like, um, if I could type him, I would think that he would be like an, an Enneagram three, um, and nothing against any Enneagram threes. I would think he would probably be on the more unhealthy side of Enneagram three mm-hmm. because like everything was about outward appearance, right? Like he had to project himself as having it all together, like all the time, mm-hmm. like, like always successful, um, always wore like the suit and tie, always drove, like had to have like a Cadillac. 
um, you know, had to have the nice stuff, even when he couldn't afford it. And so, I mean, maybe that's that too is like going into what makes me a four is like re- realizing like all of this fake crap going mm-hmm. on and being like, dude, you're not there's there's nothing about that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and so for him, it was like I always felt like there could be no authentic connection or communication, um, because he was always like he was trying to just sell me something or he was trying to sell this like give me what I wanted to hear. Okay. And I would always be like, like, don't tell me what you think Ugh. I want to hear. Yeah. Like, just be honest. Yes, right? yes, yes. Like, don't be the salesman. Just be, you know, and it might be hard for you. Um, but so there was always this kind of like, we would talk about stuff, but it was like the stuff that just had no weight. I mean, we would talk about sports mm-hmm. and we would talk about um, movies and stuff like that. But when it came to like stuff, um, there was, was really like weighty to me. I just felt like number one, I wouldn't get like an authentic, honest answer or response. Um, or number two, like I just, you know, I, I, he wouldn't understand where I was coming from. So basically it was just kind of like our whole life was based around like sports and movies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but you know, it's, it's not really his fault, right? You know, this, that's one of the things, you know, therapy and, you know, prayer and stuff has helped me with is like, we are, every, everybody is a product of, you know, I'm a product of my upbringing. That's right. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that it gives me the green light to act like that all the time, but mm-hmm. it's still, you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, and so my mom, on the other hand, um, it's, it's, it's always been the hardest, uh, cause I lived with my dad after the divorce, but my mom always moved around. And so like, I would go see her on the weekends, you know, every other weekend or so. And there was this, there was always this total like disconnect, mm-hmm. um, where I would go to her house and I would just stay in my room the whole time. Um, and, or if it, it was, it's always been like really hard to communicate with her. I, I'm sure there's, you know, there's tons of stuff that I need to work through um, on that issue, she's still alive. Um, and we still communicate, but if I'm honest about it, it's one of the things I dread the most. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why for me, like mother's day is, is always one of the most, uh, tiring, um, like worn out days of my life is because of, of the year Yeah, is because like, there's all this pressure to feel like you have to do something, but especially me being a four, like I, it's so hard for me to do that when I don't mean any of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if there's no authenticity and yeah, yeah. like I, we like, and I have another friend, um, one of my best friends, he, he kind of has the same like, uh, parental situation, like where his mom and, and him don't get along good. It's like, we kind of have this annual conversation every year of like, shit, like it's mother's day. Um, but like, so like I took the kids, you know, to get a card, uh, for my wife, you know, for mother's day and I'm sitting there in the card aisle, like having a nervous breakdown, mm. like, like I'm looking at these cards and like, no, nope, I can't say that. Like, nope, can't say that. And then I was like, what can, what, let me get the most over the top card that like, this is Obviously like so over so, the top. Yeah. But then I'm like, I can't even do that because it's just like, no, 
So like uh, I, I was laughing because I, I saw somebody, it may have been on TikTok or something, somebody posted and was like, can we just get a Mother's Day card that says thanks for birth? Right. I'm like, yeah, that's that's the perfect one. Yeah. Thanks for birth. Thanks for birthing me. That's it. <laughs> the handshake. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. You are, thank you. Job job well done. Yeah. <laughs> there was one thing you did, right? I'm just kidding. It feels like, um, I mean, there's so many things that were just like spinning in my head, like, oh my gosh, you know, that I can add to that. I can, I can, you know, uh, ask more about that. But honestly, it's, it's this, Mm -hmm. that we're not afraid to let, allow whatever is going to unfold. Like, the way the conversation goes, like we might have a plan, but we, and, and I think maybe younger us would be, oh my God, this is the plan and we're deviating. How do I, how do I bring it back? Cause this is going to be like, we have, we role play in our head, right? Like everything is, is like, you know, we like a movie and it's going to unfold this way. However, when we really kind of get to know who we really are, that we can go either direction, that it's more interesting to just like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Like it's all meant to be. And this is what needs to come out. And this perfect because you talk about confessions, like that's in the title. And I also in my women's circle mentioned like, that's the whole point of gathering and witnessing each other is what really, I grew up Catholic, like what confession was meant to be was a witnessing of an outpouring of what is what is heavy on the heart and the soul. And it's the other to witness that and just hold space for it. Not so much to correct it or have the right answer or any answer, but just to be able to witness is a huge um, gift that somebody can receive, somebody can give. And that's really what holding space is. And, and the, the, the whole point of it was supposed to be that, and I say supposed to because, you know, um, religions are funny that way. They, they start out with this great intention, you know, and then a lot of times it is the entryway, like you said, to the relationship with God, you know, like that, which is then the relationship with self because it's so personal. And, but then there's all these containers and boxes and rules and things that make you feel shameful. And you mentioned Richard Rohr, Thomas Merton, like the, the Catholics that the ones that really understand like Christian mysticism, like it's, there is this South loathing kind of um, space that Catholics are really great at. However, (laughs) with these beautiful um, artists, authors, mystics, which they don't claim to be mystics themselves. And I think that's the key is that even in that, they understand that really what they're doing is they're opening up to allow whatever messages come in to channel in the purest form. And that like self-loathing is also they have grace with themselves to say, uh, yeah, 
but I'm not going to overdo this because then that kind of gets egotistical when I'm like, woe is me, look at me, how horrible I am. There's that pity. That's still about like, bring it back to, you know, maybe somebody saying, no, you're not, or yes, you are. Either way, it's, it's the outside validation of something that you are expressing outside. And that as an Enneagram four wink five, which we are called Bohemians, you know, when, when people put that and really like when I read Bohemian, I'm just like, Oh my God, like I need to just like use that somewhere and put that somewhere. Um, because it's not just the artist, but like when you hear Bohemian, I mean, you even saw Bohemian, like what is Bohemian? It's, they, they even call it like the gypsy. It really is what we are, nonconformist. However, because we want to make other people feel comfortable and we don't want to make somebody else feel bad, yet we will take all of it and hold it because we know how we can make ourselves feel bad. And we know how much we can hold. I think I I heard this, um, and I'm not sure if it was like a, a saint that I read about. I, it might have been Saint Teresa of Lisieux that uh, like we're different containers, right? And some of us are, you know, like shot glasses. She didn't say shot glasses, but this is like I immediately <laughs> I immediately translate yeah, yeah. everybody's stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's like you know, because everything's. <laughs> Like, oh, that's like a Wizard of Oz, and that's like the movie Little Mermaid, and that's like that song. Yeah, like yeah. everything's all like in artistry, right? The artist yeah, yeah. expression. Cause that's when the muses were downloading to the people. And I'm like, I understand that language. I understand when a bird jumps from that tree to that tree. Oh. And then all life's mystery unfolds for me and the answer to all my questions were done. You know, everything is we're artsy fartsy. Like everything's yeah. art, we love it. We romanticize everything, especially things that are intense, like pain or death. We can really go deep in those places. And I, like, that's what cracks us open. That's what makes our heart swell. Like you describing the moment that you beautifully said, like your heart was like the lightning bolt pierced. Like you literally were cracked open. And I have a story of that too. I've shared it before, but um it it's this undescribable feeling of like what i imagine the the saints were calling the ecstasy like there's this oneness and yet being held at the same time like everything disappears and dissipates at the same time you are everything like mm-hmm. you know Buddhists describe it like all these ancient true mystics have described this this connection to God, which is so personal and it comes back to like you. And it's just you can't even describe it. Like words can't even describe no. it, you know? No, and yeah. it can only be described in like song and poetry and and lyrics and dance and expression, you know, beyond words. They don't give justice to it. Some people are amazing at words and being able to just form it in a way that like, like, I don't know, uh, sometimes I'll read a book that like my son, he's in high school or, or when my daughters were in high school, they're, they're adults now. They like have a book that was, uh, you know, on the 
classic book list. And I'm like, you know what? I never really read that. I don't know if you've ever read Moby Dick. I opened it and I read the first chapter and I was like, like it was, it's one of those, like, why haven't I read this before? I need to, but yeah. it's, but it's like, because I wasn't ready. And that, like you said that about a book I have, when, I, when a book calls to me, cause it really, that's what it is, right? Whether it's the title yeah. or whatever, I, I will yeah, collect yeah. them because I feel like in a way, like I'm honoring the author and all that they did, even by like holding that for them. Like I had this, but I also am okay with now I'm 49. And I want to say that I feel like we were born older and we, once we're this age, so you have that to look forward to. It's like, I now am the age I was born. And a lot of things that I can feel like are still tormenting you really um they become what you already know and alluded to so look forward to that they become blessings and they become like not just like you understand them you know that that is but like truly where you you cherish them and you're able to like lean into them and like this is who i am and i've always been a nonconformist. that's another thing i think we are even if we will torture ourselves and like, but I want to be part of this group. And then as soon as we are, we're like, no, I don't. (laughs) Like, what what was I thinking? Right. Or or like we chase something and then like, this is, I don't do this anymore. So, but younger (laughs) as a, as a teen, like, you know, pursuing someone. And then once you find out that they like you back, like that's like, Oh, you're not that yeah, amazing because you like yeah. me back. Why would you? If you like me, then you're not that great, you know. Or, or the chase is the over. Fun is in the Either chase, way, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, starting one topic and then getting bored of it, doing something else. But I think those are the keys of like we are eternal learners, and that we also see messages and everything. And I'll go back to what I said. I'm okay with opening a book and starting it. And then if that's, if, if, if that's enough, I no longer feel like in my head, I think, you know what, I should, maybe one day I should go back and finish that and never finish Moby Dick. Um, But what I read that first portion was so beautiful and poetic and the way it was written, I, it was enough to know like, okay, I understand why this book is a classic. I understand why people love to read. I understand which I, I, you know, why people who have the gift and are able to write do it. And it's, it's that love hate relationship. They, they have to write like, you, you know, and, and to find something that it just flows through you in such a way that you can't not do it, whatever it is. To find that, that's like the key to your superpower. And it often is the flip side of your pain point. (laughs) It's the same coin, you know, so the thing that you're like, oh, I don't like that about me. I hate that about me. Or why can't I be, you know, that comparison? The flip side of that is actually your gift, your superpower. So even if it's like, I don't finish what I start, right? But that's because all these downloads come and you're so creative that (laughs) like everything comes so fast 
but then to learn the art of like, not just pick one thing, but like, do this right now. That's bringing in the ever present moment. Right now, I'm experiencing this, and this is good. This is blessed. This is sacred. This moment, no matter what it is. And that is exactly what I should be doing to experience it. And then we kind of, cre- we're like librarians of these things. We're collectors of these things. Because like then that. when I talk yeah, yeah. to someone else and I'm like, oh, I was holding this for you. You know, there's this idea and you would be perfect or whatever it is, right? Before I would like, ah, these are mine. I got to do something with them. And I'm like, again, that water thing. I'm carrying too much. You know, some are shot glasses, some are tall glasses, some are pitchers, some are barrels. And I believe we're the bigger, you know, and we hold a lot more, but we also can pour into others, but often we get poured into. (laughs) And so finding that relationship, that true relationship with self, with God, is the way to be able to be refilled but also to be able to pour out like, you know, and without like that, this is accessible to all of us because we are the spark of God. Like we are God, like we, we are part of that creative energy, you know, and, and that we need to tap into creativity in order to tap into the creator. And so I really think that's the gift of, having these like just getting inundated with like different things and different feelings and different ideas. We really are meant to, everybody has their own gifts, but we all are meant to teach each other how to do something. And those of us who kind of are like the epitome of it. Like when you look at the definition and you're like, Oh my God, that's me. You know, is we're we we're we're meant to stick out. We're we're empaths. We're highly sensitive. We're intuitives. We're meant to be teachers of how to be us, but also how others can receive our gifts. And and that's like heavy to know. Like, but I know you know. Like that's why we're okay with. We need to create something. That's why we have podcasts. Because for me, it was like years and years and years of like, I got the microphone, I had everything, but it was like, uh, you know, uh, I need to learn more. I need to do the sound better. I need to have all this stuff. And after a while, it was to the point where I couldn't not do it. And it was for me. And when I realized it's for me, then whoever receives it, whoever hears it, if they get something out of it, then that's even a bonus. But these are yeah. like, we can't not share because we're okay with being the fool. Like we're okay with being the court jester, with being the vulnerable one, with sh- oversharing. That's just what we do and who we are, you know? And <laughs> we don't get it. Like, well, maybe like, the human of us might get like, oh my God, that was like, why did I overshare that? You know, but yeah. in reality, <laughs> when somebody, when we see that it helps somebody, we're like, then I'm good. Like, I don't, then that's fine. I'll yeah. be the fool. I'll be the, I'll be the first one to, to try something or to do something. And to really like 
embrace that of us, the bohemian, the gypsy, the one who, you know, we like, if you just look at the four, I'm reading it here because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go with my own interpretation, but like hearing what it says, the individualist is sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed and temperamental. And then with the wing five is the investigator. So intense, cerebral type, perceptive, innovative, secretive, isolated. Like they don't sound like they would relate. But when I hear that, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's like, that's so me that the way I'm able to be dramatic is in an artistic way. Like, of course I love, like when I was a kid, I would pretend that I was in like a sitcom or on the play and I would yeah. have conversations with myself and you know, all these things. And in reality, I'm like, well, I wasn't really just talking to myself. Like I always talk to God, you know, I talk to God. I talk to angels. I yeah. talk to mother Mary. My, the mystic Rose is my devotion to her. You know, um, I know that all these things are around me and I'm always supported and I have plenty of stories of that. I should be dead. And I know that I, you know, was protected. And I know that sounds pretentious, but in the most vulnerable way to say, I know I'm here to serve. And I actually uh, was like ready to become, I, you know, grew up Catholic went to Catholic school in fifth grade, went to public school because I basically stopped going to school um, because being an empath, I felt everybody's like pain and suffering. And so I was yeah, yeah. falling and crying and I didn't understand why and nobody else did. And it was because I was feeling all the kids intense emotions when they were getting yelled at. Um, yeah. Right. So yeah. it was really like intense, you know? Um, and then high school, like, totally rebelled became you know drank just to numb became promiscuous a lot of things that like were kind of memories of of weird stuff but it was like when i was really young so they felt like do i even mention like did this happen did this not happen and it was fucking with me it was just like am i having these images of stuff that like they're really, I, I didn't know how to express it. So it was easier to drown. And also with the group that I was with, like had a mohawk, was punk. That's what you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed yeah, to do that, yeah. you know? Um, and then there was this, the whole time, really, I was like having the conversations with God. It was like I was rebelling against God. Like, no, I'm not going to be the good girl take that you know like and i didn't <laughs> i didn't say it in those nice ways you know but i was really pushing oh, yeah. the envelope and at like 20 my one of my brothers i come from a family of six <laughs> so it, 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 it i'm the fifth of six so but i did isolate a lot because it but i was able to do it in a loud space mm -hmm. because you had to so I really went <laughs> inward, you know, um, and he asked me to be the godmother of his son. And even if I wasn't 
going to mass, practicing what I, you know, the, the Catholicism going to practice. It was, I understood what he was asking me. Like I, I still always would value like the sacraments and, and the importance. And I think it comes from like that, that feeling of like, um, Catholicism, very ritualistic. And that appeals to me in my heritage, Mexican, like the folk Catholicism is very, I'll be honest, very pagan, you know, it's very ritualistic. And, um, Mm -hmm. so, but I, I knew the importance and the beauty of, of him asking me to do something. Maybe it was reaching back, like you're a good person, like kind of get out of that, you know? But I went, I took it seriously. So I went back to church and I got my, I had to get my uh, confirmation because in order to be a godmother. And what the interesting thing was, is after having that crazy youthful experience of just really, it was, it was, I, I say I was an abused child, but I abused myself, like that meaning that like I did it to myself, like I have scars and all these kind of things. Um, that just like him, him asking me to do something really important and valuable kind of shifted like, okay, I, I'm going to take this seriously. But when I went back, it was different. It wasn't the church I remembered. And the reason why was because I didn't have to follow the rules that I was told. I was already coming of age. I already um, kind of like I stopped eating meat at 18 and I, and then I actually had to become sober because I had a court order. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> that saved my life, you know, that literally saved my life. So th- it was just the right entry point. But when I went in, I went in so deep, but not, not because I went back to like, this is how it's supposed to be. But I found what I always was attracted to since very young was the mystical teachings. I dove into the saints. I dove into reading like really the message of Jesus. Like I dove into that and I understood it at a different level because I already had the suffering and the pain and the self-loathing. And so that redemption process wasn't because I asked somebody to forgive me. I didn't, you know, like a a person. It was just this like soul retrieval, reconciliation of me. Yeah. Back to remembering like the connection. And it was like, like I can say it was angels like, oh, you know, because I was like, giving up everything. I'm going to become a cloistered nun. I only want to talk (laughs) to God my whole life. I've always talked to God my whole life. All I want to do is go away, just be and do that. And it was because I could feel that the things that I was saying weren't things that were not familiar to me as a kid. But now I was able to like articulate them and use other, you know, uh, mystics writings and like, no, this is real. This is the connection to God. This is St. Francis singing and and professing his love to nature and the moon and the sun the shaman of it you know and it was exciting to me i was like this is where i fit in 
this is who I am. This is how I know God to be. And, um, you know, I, uh, I spent time with different orders and learning different, you know, uh, about them. And it, it was, it was quick and it was like, you know, it was probably within a year and it was really deep, but I had, and I, there, I had an amazing experience of feeling that open connection and expansiveness. And after, like, as we know, God has a sense of humor. So it's like, there you go. Here's this. Great. You're going to be amazing. And then I started talking to my husband. <laughs> whom I went, <laughs> you know, who I went to elementary school with. So our families knew each other. Yeah, yeah. Really, there was nothing on the radar. We hung out with a group of friends. Now, this is in Los Angeles, like near LA. So he was in a band. He's playing like, so I'm hanging out with, it was a huge group. And there was just this like, okay, I can say like, oh, this is a test. This is temptation, right? And of course, that was like the first thing like, oh, okay, like easy. I'm already, this is so much more like what I want to do. Like I, I, this also, it was like, oh, the, the biggest like, F you to everybody, you know, like, I'm gonna go and, you know, <laughs> go away and go like, give up everything. And obviously, not worried about, like, what I look, I'm okay. Like, oftentimes, I think, oh, no, I know, I will, I feel more comfortable looking different, you know, pink hair, piercings, however, mohawk, shaved head. But it, it there is a little bit of a shock factor there of like, what are you going to do? Like, I, I know I can make people feel uncomfortable and then I'm like a paradox to them. I mean, we can just talk about like a bunch of different yes. things of that, but, um, I, I received a really clear message while uh, shortly after that, like profound experience of just, it felt like angels were, carrying me up i was in 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 a small chapel in church in a mass where the carmelites were and i was just like i could i was like gliding um and interesting enough when the priest walked in i shut it off where i that set that struck me a little bit like wouldn't i have shouldn't i have like said i get it I'm going to be a nun. You're a priest. You'll understand this. But there was something very personal about that experience that I knew deep down, like was for me and I still needed to process it. And I didn't want anyone to take away from like, well, maybe not. Or, Oh, okay. Tell me. But like, I just didn't want to talk about it. It was this, like, it was for me. And also, I also felt like he's not going to understand. <laughs> like I, there was just this, like, this strange like feeling but shortly after that i got the clear message and i don't you know this this might come across as you know not something that you um ascribe to but i felt like you've done this before or you know that message came in but it was more so like that would be easy for you like not to anybody but you giving up everything going into a cloister um, yeah. being able to talk to God and speak these words without anybody like thinking you're weird, you know, praying for people, doing all this, like 
that's actually would be really easy for you. Yeah, yeah. So that's not your job. Your job is out in the front lines, <laughs> out in the world where you got to do this still, this work. Yeah. yeah. Out here. You're like more like Joan of Arc. Around so go, people. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With humans. And I'm like, no, you know? And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it took, you know, then diving into wife, motherhood. Like I, I see now that I was still living all of that, but doing it with different titles and jobs, like as mom, teaching them to, to see their unique gifts and loving them. And I'm of course, plenty of guilt there and things that I did wrong. They would cry at night and, you know, um, but (laughs) There's a point where we understand and we know. And I remember hearing, like, I think it was um, uh, Michael Beckman's, like, book. And he was, like, he just asked a question, like, what is it that your soul, like, is calling you to? And I remember, like, I dropped to my knees because it just, like, came out. And I was, like, oh, my gosh. I I was, like, I'm supposed – I am here – to teach others or to remind them of God's love. And it was just like, that sounds so simple. It's huge, but there's nothing else. Like there's, there's nothing else that I think really, it all comes back to that. Like, is that true love? Like how we're treating each other. You mentioned like this whole, like unplugging and stuff. I feel like, the whole pandemic and all this stuff, honestly, when the rug was pulled out from everyone else, I was like, oh, this is how I feel all the time. Like, this is the (laughs) eternal struggle that happens to me all the time. So it was almost like I understood how to live in this. And it really allowed me to say, I'm going to, I can lose everybody. I'm not going to lose myself. And I unplugged and I see like your podcast too. Like I had to go inward and in that going inward of these two years, I really found that. And, and I know that this is why I'm excited for you to be here. Like, I know that this is for you too. Like we are here to help others through the uncertainty and the chaos because we actually understand it. We understand the tornado of everything and to really be in the eye is to be centered with God. And that's going to look different for everybody. And when, when you really are there, like there really isn't a judgment of another person. Like it, it really is not interesting to me anymore to have people that are just like, well, what did you vote for? What do you think of this? And like, I'd rather have people that have opposite opinions of me because I want to learn. I want to know, not so that you can convince me of anything, but because that's more exciting. That's more interesting. That's more colorful. But I think it takes it takes a person to to be brave and vulnerable at the same time to be able to like stand your ground and like that's not how i feel but that's okay like it's okay you feel that way 
but I don't need to convince you of anything. Yeah. There's just too, too much inserting your own beliefs here, you know, <laughs> with everything. Yeah. It's just not no, genuine totally anymore. Yeah. And I think um, now more so people, you know, are more aware that like what you said before with your dad, like, don't tell me what you think I need to hear or what I want to hear. Just tell the truth. And I'm a yeah. big girl, big boy. Like I can, I can make my own decision. I might get pissed or mad or whatever, but I can <laughs> deal with that on my own. But I, the truth, like we are truth seekers. Like we can read the truth. We know the truth. I can see when somebody mouth is moving the words they're saying are totally different than what's in their heart and like it's like i you can't like bullshit meter like you can't lie to me yeah and if you did it's probably because i wanted to hear the lie you know but now i'm just like i i'm just interested in real people genuine people not that don't make mistakes or aren't perfect like the more real you are and able to 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 be okay with like i don't know what we're doing it's all improv theater anyway this yeah. that's all this is you know we're all making it up as we go along i don't know what i'm going to say a lot of times i surprise myself you know when i say something and i'm just like i had no idea i was going to go there but okay let's go with it you know yeah anyway, yeah i know i need to take a breath like no yeah um it's something that Richard Rohr has said too. And it's something that I find where he says, you know, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's along the lines of, um, at some point, like, you know, the deeper you go with God, the less you care about being right. Exactly. You know, and that's just kind of where I found myself, especially, you know, the last like three years, um, or the last, you know, three to four years, but, you know, going through the journey of like, I just, the deeper I get with God, the less I care about um, arguing about what is right. Or, ha- you know, even having like the conversation of right and wrong. It's almost mm-hmm. like the Rumi quote where it's like, you know, um, out out beyond, there's a field out beyond the questions of right and wrong, you know, I'll meet you there. It's kind of like the best way I can describe it is, um, it's kind of like what you said, the BS meter. Um, it's like when people talk, like it's almost like their words are like a veil. And I just want to be able to see through that into their interior, you know, like what, is like what's really going on with you right now. And I think, you know, like you said, like that's something it's, it's because it's something that I've dealt with and it's something that is at the heart of four is, you know, the interior uh, inferno of feeling and emotion and struggle and pain. And, you know, the strength of, the four is, is equanimity, you know, being able to 
balance it all at the same time along the scale of emotions. Um, you know, because I have, you know, there's a lot of people when I, as funny as it sounds, when I decided to go with God and not with the quote unquote church. <laughs> um, and I think when I say church, I think what I mean is like, you know, evangelicalism, um, as, as it would be defined in like today's modern America, like American evangelicalism, which is more interested in like power and like control and really nothing to do with Jesus and the life that he lived, you know, and the example that he was. But when I talk to people from, you know, that I, that I used to be friends with who, you know, I've had to learn to say, it's okay if I let you go. Um, you know, that, that boundaries are healthy. You know, that was a big thing for me is learning that boundaries are healthy. I don't have to let people, you know, I don't have to open myself up to people always, um, questioning me or wanting to like, tell me how wrong I am and stuff like that. But like, when I have conversations with people and it's based on like right dogma, right doctrine, it's just, it's like you said, it's the most boringest thing in the world to me now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I just, you know, like, so what you think I'm wrong? Like, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's talk about real stuff. Like, let's talk about, like, I don't want to know what you believe let's talk about something that you're struggling with right now mm -hmm. you know what's something that you're you know you you're dealing with you know let's talk about that because that's that means more to me and it's it me it's it's more uh productive to talk about stuff that you know that we're both struggling with than to talk about the, the things that you know what we you believe find flaw in me or yeah. whatever yeah like I have a, one of my other close friends, um, he's, he, you know, he did some stuff where he ended up like cheating on his wife and then, you know, she left him and this was going on like three or four years ago. And so, um, when I see him post stuff, it's always like surface level, mm -hmm. what I would call like masking the pain or like, yeah. um, it's almost like he's using social media as how I used alcohol, right? Like medicating through social media. So he always wants to give this persona off of like, it's almost like my dad almost, but like, you know, having it all together, strong, not struggling in any way you know um and so the other day um he found out that his wife or you know his ex-wife now is starting to uh, date somebody else and um and i find it really interesting because we 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 don't talk a whole lot because he he's more along the lines of like the conservative uh strain of things so there's not a lot that we that, that it's almost like we're talking two different languages. And so, you know, and I think sometimes he would look at me more in the sense of like, oh, he's a, her he's a heretic now. You know, he doesn't mm -hmm. believe anything he used to believe. But we still communicate some. And I find it really interesting that 
the other night, like he texted me and said, Hey, I'm really struggling. Like, can you, can you talk with, can I, you know, I need somebody to talk to you. Can I talk to you? And so I was like, yeah. And so we ended up, he called me and it was one of those things that you said earlier. Like we, I just, you know, I learned a long time ago, like you just create space. Like mm-hmm. he, he's not really wanting me to say anything. He just needs to talk. Right. Exactly. And so like we had, you know, the whole conversation was like just him talking. Like he was in tears. He was like, it was like one of those moments of like, um, like fine. I felt like finally, like you're finally honest with yourself. Yeah. Like you're finally. There you are. <laughs> yeah. Like let's get all this, you know, let's get all the social media, um, you know, how you want to look and portray yourself to the world. Let's get all that mm-hmm. crap out of the way. And like, here you are, like, this is you, like right now you're, you're broken and in tears. Like this is, <laughs> no, it sounds like, like, this is beautiful, right? Like, yeah, exactly. this, is, this is amazing. Like your life is falling you. apart. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> you're in pain. It's great. No, but, um, no, but it's like, th- that's the thing is like, it's genuine. I realize like, I mean, and it's like the, the, the truth of life, right? Like we only grow through pain. Like mm-hmm. if everything was easy, we'd never grow. Right. You Absolutely. Know? That's where, you know, pain is when the rubber meets the road. It's where, you know, the great revealer. And that's what I said about like COVID COVID I thought was, um, and is still like the great revealer, even Absolutely. like it, it revealed so it was it was almost like um you know apocalyptic or if you look at the literal sense of the word apocalyptic it just means like the unveiling you know so exactly. like covid it's, was like an unveiling it yeah, showed it was the who everybody was pulled away from the yeah. wizard the great wizard you like, know for the all like Oz. especially for like the the extroverts right like all of the people who like lived for like going out lived for being around Mm -hmm. people like it was hell for them but it was like the revealer like it kind of forced i felt like it forced those kind of people those types of people to like realize things about themselves and to like you know face certain things about themselves that maybe they didn't like and maybe they had been running from doing all the extroverted stuff Mm -hmm. um but no i mean it's like um you know, I have another friend who is, it's almost the I'm same lose, thing. Uh, okay. Can you say that again? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I have another friend, um, who it's almost, almost the same thing. Like he cheated on his wife. Um, and then like, but his viewpoint of it is, is, you know, it's her fault because she mm. wasn't whatever, you know, that kind of crap. Like she wasn't a good enough housewife, whatever, yeah. crap like that. So like, yeah. like he's like, he's one of those friends that you just bang your head on the wall against. Like, cause he, he says stuff like if she would have done this, like I wouldn't have cheated on her. She forced mm-hmm. me to cheat on her. And I'm like, my God, my, man. Dad, like, my no. dad said those <laughs> same things. It's like, wow. <laughs> but like, he'll like, he, his whole life is like, him running and even now like they they split like maybe 10 years ago now and he's still like living this 
this like life of like he's lost like everything. He's lost like custody of his kids. He's lost like, you know, all these different things. And, you know, I'm not obviously like I'm not going to judge him, but I'm just like, what? Like my my view is like, what is it going to take for you to be honest with yourself and the whole situation? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Cause that's, I think that's, you know, getting back to it, like that's, that's kind of what my life has, has become, um, is like, let's get, I, I want to see through all the crap. Like, you know, that, you know, like I want to know who you really are, you know, because, you know, I think it, it stems from, because we've had to dive and we're so comfortable diving, um, into who we are, <laughs> the, 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 the many layers of who we are that it's, it's like you said, it's, it's easy. And we're called to be a light, you know, kind of like a guide post, right? Like this is the way, like, not that, not that I'm perfect or I'm anything like that, but like, no, you have to like go inward and mm-hmm. you have to face and I, and I talked a little bit about it on a couple of my recent podcast episodes of like, I felt like the first, you know, my whole uh, first part of my Christian life was spent basically like fragmenting myself and fracturing myself into pieces um, because it was like, you know, you have to take every thought captive to Christ. And there was always this like uh, violent part of it, like you have to like violently uh, get rid of these bad thoughts or like these bad mm. actions and stuff. And so for me, it was like, I never ended up dealing with anything because I yeah. was too busy pushing it away to even like right. look right. at it to see what it was. And so like, um, you know, therapy and, and recently like walking, you know, reading the mystics and reading the desert fathers and reading like just, you know, people who are just honest you know, it's like, no, like you have to like, 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 and it's, it's the part it's, it's, you know, um, therapy too, right? Like it's, you don't change until you acknowledge the the stuff. Like if you continually push stuff away, you're never going to change. But it's like when you finally look at the stuff, like in the, in the eyes. Um, and I like how Thich Nhat Hanh says it, like, you look at like fear or you look at like worry as like a crying child. And it's like, mm. you know, you wouldn't push a crying child away. You would bring it into your arms and you would say, you know, it's going to be okay. Yes. Um. So for me, it's been like learning to like, you know, become aware of, you know, all along the spectrum, like the joys, the contentments, the peace of life, but also like the pains, like, learning to say like, hello, um, worthlessness or like, you know, hello, Mm -hmm. uh, worry, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you to leave. Like, no, like, let me look you in the eyes. And then it's like, when we take time to like, actually confront those things, you know, in a, in a non-judgmental way, like just noticing them, right. Just notice like, okay, I'm feeling weird right now. Why, why do I feel this way? Like what Mm -hmm. is going on in my life that would make me feel this way? And just sitting there in it, you know, um, 
but it's it's so it's that's the thing though right it's like it's so hard to explain that to people who their whole life they've 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 been running and they continually want to run Mm -hmm. um you know or people who are just uh content where they are you know Mm -hmm. um or or they or they want to be told what to do i you you mentioned this about the light like this i say this all the time when you understand that especially us that we are servers so we could also rescue like we that's a tendency that's that that's when we go too much is when we're like doing it for them and, and carrying it for them that we need to not be tugboats, but lighthouses. Like we need to be strong in our foundation and just guide. That's it. Like you, that ships, you know, coming near that, the rocks, just I'm putting the light there, but that's your, 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 your way. And I love that you mentioned the, the stories of the friends. Like it's, it's amazing on how people can live such dual lives that are so contradictory of each other and they just will not admit it. Like what they yeah. say or do, especially posts on social media is so different than the, the life that they live. You know, um, a book that really changed me even in high school when I was, you know, still like, uh, tormenting myself, um, was, um, the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis. And oh, yeah. if you haven't read that, like it's a really short, you know, quick book, but it's, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's so like, what is sin? What is like not living your life to its full purpose and having this facade, this, this, um, this mask that really is the, the flaw of, of human nature is that we put these things there. Like, for instance, just hearing that possibly these friends that have, you know, or anybody that has this persona and will easily judge, they're like the most judgy people. They'll condemn you and point things out. And yet they do horrible things to the person that they've committed their life to witnessed by God, you know, their spouse, right? And I think the difference is, is like when we say non-judgment, it really is like, it's not that we are not going to point out all the bullshit you do or all the things that you're doing. We are just yeah. truth seekers. Like, yeah. just let, like lay all the cards out. Just look at it. And, and let's look at it. And the judgment comes when you say, this is good. This is bad. We are just saying, I see you. I see you mm-hmm. all. Just if you can just admit all these things and yeah. just like look at them, that's the entryway. That's where, that's where yeah, that's yeah, where transformation that's like, happens. Yeah. And that's like Alice looking in the peephole into Wonderland, yeah. you know, and she's trying to figure out how to fit, you know, like that's the gateway. That's the entry point is the pain and of all the things that you've, you, you can now release. Um, have, have, Carl Jung, um, the red book. I, I'm actually i I listen to audiobooks because that's just like that's easier for me in my mind. Um, and and I also listen to several at a time. <laughs> sometimes uh, I'll hear. Sometimes I'll dive into I, one and then I'll that's read one. like four I'll, books I'll at a time. Do, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll just like I I, I got to touch on different ones. And I what I love is that oftentimes I can do like a book about 
you know, whatever quantum physics, you know, or cellular regeneration, like Bruce Lipton or, or Greg Braden. And, and they'll talk about like really God, like the entryway and prayer and the lost art. And I love these that now scientists are like, when you keep layering it back and answering, it's just affirming mm. ancient wisdom and having the different like books that are interesting to me that that eclectic taste of even music it to me it's like the weaving of like but they're this is how they relate because i can translate it to people like and and it's 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 also like these gifts what are you going to do with it how does it apply to your normal life you can be amazing in church and that's what like screw tape letters, like what they talked about, the demons saying we got them because they're amazing in church. Yeah, keep them and, in there, keep them focused. Keep them in the focus on that. And then they go home and they're horrible to their mother, or they're judging everybody in, in church that they're not as pious as they are. Like people don't see that that's the real evil, that's the darkness, you know, is that like that hiding of the truth. The truth is yeah. God and love. Carl Jung says something that reminded me of what you, I don't know, it just came uh, about the real teachings. And it's not about the building or even the religion or the specifics of like, it has to be this way because then we get trapped in like, you're not part of this elitism, this inclusive, like this club, right? He, his father was, um, uh, a, a pastor, a minister, and he. This was like in the turn of the century of of last century, um, and he said that he remembers feeling so shameful because as they were making this beautiful new church with the tile ceilings and it was like gorgeous, right? That he had a, an impure thought, and he felt horrible, and he just like he just couldn't stop like thinking of how shameful shame, you know, he, he was. And the same reminds me of, if you haven't re- heard or read the red book, then I think you would enjoy that. Um, I've heard, I've never read, it. I've heard of it though. Yeah. Yeah. It's his, it's, it's his journals. Like it's his actual, which he, okay. he was so spiritual and like mystic himself. Um, <laughs> He, uh, and a dreamer, which is what we are too, right? Um, he said that the dissonance between the God that his father was preaching and knew and the one that he knew was so different that it really just tore, like it made him feel like, what, what, Wow. why, why do I feel this way? what's wrong with me. Right. And so (laughs) when he had, when he had that, um, thought that while he was seeing the, the tile, you know, ceilings in this beautiful church coming up, he pushed it away and he must, I think he said he was like 12 or something like that. And then he had this like real feeling of like God saying, no, you need, you, you need to, you need to express, you need to feel it. Like he, he thought if I didn't, if God did not want me to, how do you say it? If God did not want me to have that feeling, he wouldn't have put it in my head. <laughs> That's how he said it. Right. As a 12 year old. And so he, that like released hit the burden of like feeling shame. So he's like, I'm going to feel it. 
And he would have like his imagination go. So like these visions that he would have. And he saw God, this huge man, take a big dump on the ceiling. (laughs) That was his impure thought. You know, the ceiling (laughs) of this uh, uh, church. So this huge turd just like breaks all the (laughs) tile. It just destroys this church. And he had so much joy in that to know like one it's okay to have these thoughts like you know that aren't what you're supposed to have like how dare you blasphemy you know but two that's the god he knew that's like telling him i don't need this shit literally like i don't need this stuff like the church is great and big you know and beautiful but what am i going to use it for I, I don't feel yeah. that, you know, I don't go in that. Like this is all for them to feel good about themselves of how great that they are, that they, they are honoring yeah. God this way, you know, but that he had that, that really allowed him to just take his relationship with God to, to expand and actually heal so many people with his life's work, you know, but he yeah. also was a lot of self-evaluation and, and, not feeling worthy even because he would he had different interests like as like of art and different things and there were some things that he knew like well I can't really share this because my role as an intellectual as a psychologist like I have to be this to them but even in that people could hear and read into and that's why he's so amazing but i love all these like behind the scenes like what people really think because rather than me i think some people are like "Ooh, that's weird that that changes my perception of them they're not amazing they're not who i thought they were to me that kind of stuff makes somebody so much more interesting i like i'm like yes you're human you know you you have these ridiculous thoughts just like the rest of us and i think that's why for wink fives we are able to say look we all feel these things we all feel this way and i'm gonna let you in on in my thought process and yeah i know it's weird and i know that this is not how everyone thinks but if there's a little bit of there that you're like huh yeah i guess i'm not that weird or i guess i you know, other people do think that way, then cool. Like that to us is the unveiling of peeling off those masks. Like you don't have to be fake with me because I'm not going to judge you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was, that's another reason why I have like the Instagram account is like, I feel like if I, you know, open myself up um, and let it out there, then it will free people to maybe take a look at that same thing or, you know, or take a look on the inside of themselves to where, you know, maybe they've, they've felt like they weren't allowed to say certain stuff or express certain things that they felt, um, you know, maybe hearing it or seeing it or reading it from someone else will allow them to hit that level now, I mean, obviously not like I'm all that, but like, you know, just the fact that like seeing someone else verbalize something they struggle with or just an honest thought or emotion, you know, will help them, you know, um, express it 
their selves too. Cause yeah. you know, we're all, we're all on different path, different paths and different levels on the journey. So somebody, you know, who is a few steps behind me, you know, just like the way that I, um, I take stuff from people who are steps ahead of me and take that in and chew on it. You know, I, I look at it like you got to return the favor and for the people, you know, um, a few steps behind me, let them know like, Hey, like you said, you know, the future, the future is brighter, you know, keep going. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're just like an uh, elephant line, right? Like trunk, tail, trunk, tail, yeah, yeah. trunk, tail. Like yeah, we're just trying to help each other across this road, you know, that we could get hit by the, by the, by the cars that are built on this road that, you know, shouldn't be there. <laughs> I don't know. I just got that vision of like, why would the you know why is there a road in the middle of the safari you know <laughs> it, it it yeah it, i guess that's like the way things are right like we are so curious and want to see the wild but then because we do that we are taking it taken away from it you know and Maybe there's a maybe there's a lesson in that of like the wild that's in the soul and in the heart is mm-hmm. where God lives, you know, is where the wonderful things are, where creation began, you know, and and to be able to find the road to that, but not 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 tear everything down just for the road. Like, I think maybe religion does that. They, they miss the point, like the old Buddhist teaching, you know, they mistaken the moon for the finger pointing at the there moon. There you go. Like, yeah. You know, they, they tore, they deconstructed and tore and judge and persecuted everyone who doesn't even build the road with them. When they really miss it, they tore down the wildness of really what. Yeah. The point is of the road. The human soul, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what's next for you? You're gonna continue with the podcast as long as they feel yeah. good. Yeah, like what I'm what I'm doing is like during Lent, I um I I, I tried to keep like a daily journal. I I, I didn't do too good towards the end because I got kind of busy with my work, but um and so basically on the podcast, I'm just kind of the journal was just kind of like things that um, well, during Lent, I focused a lot on, um, like centering prayer and I had read like the Thomas Keating book on it going into it. And mm-hmm. so during Lent, I focused, I, I gave up, uh, I, and I try to do this every Lent. I'll give up like social media and music because music is like probably the biggest thing to me. Um, and so I'll give up that and social media just to get off of, you know, the, the clutter that that can start and, and, and have in the head space and the heart space. Um, and so what I did, I just kind of like two times a day, I would just sit in silence for like, you know, 20 minutes each time and just try to do the, the, the centering prayer practice and, um, you know, just listen, listen to what surfaces. Cause you know, Thomas Keaton says in, in the book that, um, the more you sit in silence and then in the presence of God, God will begin to like trudge up 
stuff from like the bottom of the river of consciousness that you repressed or, you know, put there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I think, um, I had, you know, pushed away and repressed and that began to like surface. Um, so the journal entries was me just like saying hello to it. Like we talked about earlier, not, not like pushing it back underwater, pushing it back down, but like, okay, let's take a look at this. You know, what's, what is this feeling about? Like, okay, like, why am I, why am I getting this feeling right now? Um, so, you know, that's kind of what I'm, I don't know if you want to call it a series, but that's kind of what I'm doing on the podcast now is just taking a look at, at different things. So like, cause you know, during the pandemic, you know, the kids were home the whole time. So like, I actually mm-hmm. didn't do a podcast for like a year and a half, um, just because they were like screaming all the time. So now that, <laughs> that they're actually back in school, I'm like, okay, I have, I have time to do it now. Um, but I did, you know, I did one episode on like worthlessness, like how I, you know, realizing that uh, when my parents split, um, I got I got passed around. I mean, I I, was, I say passed around, but it probably wasn't that bad. But it was between my dad and my mom and my grandma. So, and I, I that instilled in me this feeling of like I'm worthless. I'm just this. I'm just this thing that gets passed around. You know, nobody, whoever, you know, nobody has time for me. So I get passed on to the next person. So I'm this, Mm. I'm just this object of, that has no worth. And so I've realized that that's how I viewed myself. And so that's how I treated myself growing up. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. led me to do all of this X, Y, Z stuff, you know, all of the surface level, you know, uh, you know, issues like what you know drinking to medicate and stuff like that was because i really viewed myself as you know worthless anyway so like mm-hmm. why treat myself good when i'm worthless anyway and so that's you know one of them the podcast is talking about instead of you know hiding from the pain of worthlessness like inviting that in like you know you don't have to act on it it's like you know non-judgmental but you're you're looking at it right you're like um opening yourself up to it you're acknowledging it and it's not like saying it's good or bad but it's just like looking at it you know like wow here's here's this root issue in my life you know that that has basically uh caused me to act out in this way or that way you know and so it's just like oh that's why i did that you know that oh that's why i acted that way in my 20s oh because i really didn't feel like I really didn't value myself anyway. Cause I felt like worthless my whole life. Um, so that's one episode. The other, another one, cause I try to do like, you know, like a, I don't, I don't even know if you would say like a negative emotion, but like a hard, like worthlessness, like a hard emotion. And then like a yeah. more lighter emotion, like peace. I did an episode of like saying hello to peace. Um, because for me, it's almost as hard to say hello to peace as it is to say hello to worthlessness because it's just yeah. like, I just, I just don't think it exists, you know? Um, and I, on that one, I talk about peace is more of like an autonomous, uh, entity, right? Like, I think we try to look at peace as like something that can be grabbed or something that can be taken a hold of. Like, I'm going to go get peace, you know, mm-hmm. but peace is more of like a living thing that it, 
you know, it it's like the wind. It goes where it wants to, you know, and right. our job it's is in to, motion. Yeah, like we as soon as you try to grab it, it stops being it boosts you. Exactly. Yeah, right. It's in it you in like as soon as you start to grasp it and take hold of it, it it, it you smother yeah. it and it and it becomes like you know, something uh I mean like an idol. It becomes something that ends up hurting you. You're chasing after like, you know, the wind. Um but learning to say like learning to acknowledge peace when like peace comes in the room, like you know, not trying not to grab a hold of it, but you're just like, hello, peace, you know. And then once you say, once you acknowledge it, like, then there's this, you know, peace gives like an impartation of itself to you. And then you become like a part of peace, you know. So it's not like, you know, I think for my whole life, and I think a lot of people view peace like, and it, like, you can go down the line with that, like love, you know, like, you try to control love. You try to grab it. You try to hang on to it. And the second you do that, it stops being love, and it start it starts being this monster, right? That ends up eating you. Um. And so the last one I did was um. On um greed, um, because this is like on the Enneagram Five side of things, and I really saw this um, like my five wing really strong um during like the pandemic was like um being greedy with my time. Um, cause I, you know, you always think of greed with, with like money and stuff, but like I've, I've came to the realization that like, wow, I'm really greedy with my time, especially mm. with, with the ones who I'm close with, like my kids and my wife. And it's all rooted into, uh, the childhood issues of like, um, I don't want to give my time to people. Number one, because, uh, true love doesn't last and it's not going to be reciprocated or if it is, it's just going to go away. It's going to stop one day. Um, and I don't want to give my people my time because, um, I don't want, like with my kids, I use this example. Like sometimes I tell myself that if I stay away from my kids, uh, they won't have my kind of the issues that I struggle with and they'll be free to live their lives. But then I realized like in doing that, you know, in withholding myself and my time from them, the irony of it is they end up becoming the very thing I don't want them to become, you know, which mm-hmm. is like the version of me that oh. I don't, that I don't want them to become. They become because the cycle continues, you know, like my parents withheld themselves from me, you know, so here I am, but it's coming from the place of like, I want them to have a good life. And so I'm, (laughs) I'm pulling myself away from them because I'm so flawed and I have all these issues. And if they're not around me, then it won't have a chance to rub off on them. But in the long run, I, I do what I, I accomplish what I don't want to accomplish by that very thing, you know? Mm. So it's basically, um, saying hello to greed and like when, you know, and greed is rooted in fear and especially like fear of like scarcity, right? Like, um, there's just, there's not enough love. Um, there's not enough time, you know, it's all going to, you know, end one day anyway. So me, it was like this, 
coming to the realization of when those feelings happen of like when I want to run from my kids. And I know that sounds like so weird, but like when I, when I want to run from the ones that I love and be greedy with my time, instead of like actually running from it, it's actually looking at that and saying, okay, like welcome greed. Like the truth is at this table of life, there is plenty, you know, there is plenty of time. There is plenty of love. Um, true love is not going to go away. You know, all these fears that play on the tape of my mind of like, you know, love's not going to last uh, because you're flawed and because you have all these issues. And so therefore you better run. You know, you better not give people any of your time because you're just going to get hurt and you're going to hurt everybody else. You know, it's when that comes in saying like, hello, greed, like, Welcome to the table. Yeah. Look, at, at this table, there's plenty, you know, yeah. there's plenty of love. There's plenty, plenty of life. Um, you don't have to run anymore, you know, and then that's when true, that's when true um, transformation happens, right? Is when you welcome your whole self into, you know, when you acknowledge and welcome your whole self, that's when, you know, the, the, the head, <laughs> You know, I don't want to use negative qualities, but, you know, the heavier, the darker emotions, when you welcome those in, that's when they're redeemed, right? Because I don't think, you know, we're supposed to get rid of them. We're supposed, you know, no. the, the the task they're is entries. like, yeah, they are redeemed. They're reconciled, you know. Um, if they also lose their charge and power. Over exactly. You. Yeah. You don't have them as this thing that you're trying to run from or escape or elude. I love your musings. I, this is exactly <laughs> how my brain is. Like, uh, in that stillness is when we can actually listen and hear and receive. And and it's not always. Sometimes it's like a clear voice. Like, <clears throat> you know, when you ask, but usually it's these images and these things that like ah. Uh, I haven't thought of that in a while. And oh, now I see. So when we share anything that was troubling us or something that was deep, it's always also to share the insights that came through. Not because we have like, this is how you need to do this. It's yeah. just, this is what I received and I want to share it because if anybody else has felt this, Maybe it's useful because we know that it wasn't just for us. And if we can we give this to someone else, even if it's just so that they know, uh, I recognize you, I, you're somebody that will understand me. Opening our hands, that door, is what we want to offer. Is yeah, You can share things with me that are heavy and deep. In fact... I love it. You know, I, 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 I love real conversations. I love going deep. I can do the surface stuff, but is, you know, we don't have to, you can share with me anything, you know, and, and that, that offering of the insight that we receive because we know it's from God and we know that that's meant to be shared. And, um, that vulnerability that comes with that is to like to me is is transformational yeah and um 
there was something else that you said that I was like, ooh, um, but I'm not going to remember it now. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to, it, it went with the wind. Oh, the, the, uh, how when you, when you chase something and you try to contain it, like when you were talking about peace and, and, and love, it, it's, it feels to me like how I would, am thinking of like the wild of things. Like you, you can't contain it because then it doesn't become it anymore. Like yeah. when you, for, that's what war is supposed to force peace on it, which is never going to happen, you no. know? And that peace is like what you said is ever moving, ever changing love as well. Like, so these things, it, that's what the ever present moment is teaching us is that to see that moment and be there in it and like ah the awe of it the real awe of it and to be able to be there and witness it and be thankful for that moment of the sunset that will never be like that again and if you're only worried about taking a picture of it which doesn't do it any justice you miss the magic of it you know you miss the nuance of it and yes these are great to like have the impressions and pictures and things like that. That's not what I mean, but really we often are so worried about taking, capturing that moment with our phone, you know, with whatever, like, let me take a picture of this. And when we know that that's, that might be a capture of it, but it really wasn't what you like you'll remember the thing more if you're actually there in it, witnessing it and just like letting it happen to you. Exactly. And just like receiving it, right. Allowing it to have that impression. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't remember every detail, it changed you. It filled you up. It added something else to you. Another, another piece to you, another, another, uh, important moment that you may never be able to describe. You might not have the picture for it, that captured moment, but yeah. you have that snapshot and it, and it landed, it landed, you know, yeah, uh, it's like a, a meal. Like, yeah. It's like a meal. Like we can enjoy a meal and the taste of it and, and, and the actual, the sensuality of what eating is right. Putting something, the communion of putting hopefully something that was nourishing and it can be nourishing in different ways because the conversation was nourishing because it was actually, you know, grown and, and has the, the, um, information from the sun, you know, like the, (laughs) the, the actual living vital force of something, you know, but to be able to take it in, we can enjoy a great meal and know that it's fleeting know that we're going to digest it and eliminate. But can we take in the taste of it, the memory of it, the conversation of it, hopefully the nourishment of it, like overall, not just with the ingredient, and then it be good, that that was good enough. Like that was good, you know? And um, just thinking of that, like that way, what you said, the table of plenty, all these things are the meal. The, the life is the meal, 
Like, and it is the things that are in front of us that the conversations that we have with our grief, with pain, with peace, with people, with all that is being able to try your best to stay in the moment of like, this is what's happening right now and not worry about, I might forget it. So I might, I have to contain it. I have to put this genie in the bottle. I have to trap, you know, uh, Tinkerbell, (laughs) you know, like this is this, this moment that we all, we want to hold on to forever. We miss the point that by actually being there, we will have it forever. It's true. So true. And it's almost like taking, taking the picture is it's a good metaphor for like trying to grab hold of peace or love. So like we, we would far rather like take a picture of peace and Mm -hmm. try to like um, idolize it or try to memorialize it instead of actually being (laughs) there open to peace in that moment. Like, Oh, here's peace. It's so pretty. Let me take a picture of it. Like, let me me do all this stuff so I can always, you miss, you miss it. Like it just right, this goes away, and the thing that you take a picture of becomes this thing that's not even peace. Like right, like it could be two people hugging, right? You know, and and you take a picture, like, but you're missing like the feeling of your heart, like expand the connection, the the that that's going to alchemize everything into gold and like catalyze, you know, yourself to then hug someone else or just that, that flow and that reciprocation that happens with witnessing an action. When we try to capture it and hold it and contain it and make it this, then it becomes skewed and perverted. It becomes where now if people aren't hugging and doing the thing in the picture, then it's it's not that right yeah yeah and that you know we see it in science fiction movies and things like that where and even in history like it's stories like this is the way it was and it always is and it has to be this way but what we aren't told is really what happened in that you know we just take that little out of context like really everything's out of context which and and that's how these institutions, these, I mean, and then I'm calling religion, like even political parties, like, you know, like the yeah. religion of it has to be this way or else you're condemned. Yeah. That's it. You're not, you're not a good, we're, we'll kill you because you're bad and horrible <laughs> and not worthy, you know? And I think we need to stop worshiping the idea of something. And start experiencing it yeah. as uncomfortable as it is. That's how then we are the walking word, the walking Bible, the walking message, the walking exactly. love, you know, is actual experiencing it. Because other than that, it's just someone else's version of what it's supposed to be. And then it Good. robs us all. It robs all of us of what this is. This moment blip in time that we have here in this in this really expansive universe that's eternal and we forget that our soul is eternal and 
this experience as me in this body is an opportunity to to play to be this character in this plot and setting but that i get to choose the lines and i get to choose how my character evolves and that's how it's supposed to be it's beautiful i could talk to you forever you know <laughs> <laughs> now that we're friends yes uh so any final words any books that you'd recommend or like if somebody i i guess we can go to enneagram what are your favorite teachers or books of the enneagram you know i don't i don't really know like i because like i said i when i first discovered it i was like all over it but that was like four years ago and so it's kind of like toned down since then um i i do follow like the the daily Enneagram emails, which they're called, let me check it really quick here. Uh, the Enneagram Institute, like will send yes. you daily email kind of like, and you can put, uh, you, you can pick up to like two numbers. So like I do like the four and the five so that I mm-hmm. get like the daily, the daily for both of those. Um, yeah. That's really it's like good. a horoscope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like um, Beatrice Chestnut, Richard Rohr, Russ Hudson, I think. Um, those are some of the biggest ones um, that really, you know, affected me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I have. Uh, that's how I entered into the Enneagram was through Richard Rohr's book uh, that he co-wrote. And um, yeah, there's just, there's different ways to to get in there and enter. And I think these are all meant to be little keys of of uh of just going in further doing more you know self-discovery and really it's that it's it's self-discovery and not to get also fixated on well you need to deal with me because i'm a four week five (laughs) you know like yeah yeah (laughs) i think we could get that way where it's like too bad that's how i am yeah exactly gotta deal with it you know it's it's and even in the in the things that you're like ooh, like when you talk about greed like ooh, that's not a good trait it's like they're not all like there is no good or bad they just are and they're also clues of like okay that's i do have a tendency for that so let me look at it yeah yeah uh, thank you. Thank you so much. What do you have planned for Father's Day? I don't even know that far out, honestly. Um, this, My wife and I are going on uh, Sunday. Uh, one of my favorite bands is The War on Drugs, and they're playing in Atlanta, which is like four hours away. So we got tickets to that. So that, that's, that's the thing we're doing this weekend, going to see The War on Drugs. I love seeing live bands. And yeah. I, you have a great voice too. I love your, I didn't, I was like, we can go that direction. We can go that direction, you know, but, uh, you know, the artsy fartsy in us, we, we love anything in all things creative. Thank you. Yeah. So follow Zach Enneagram for confessions. Even if you're not an Enneagram for, he has some really great, um, shares with, different 
you know, books and quotes and they're just, I think everyone should have an Enneagram for a friend at their disposal so that they can listen to all their heart pourings and also <laughs> come up with, uh, you can always share with us your poems and songs and anything creative. Yes. Follow me and let me be your jester and your Exactly. You're we fool. are the court jesters. I will be fool. your holy fool. You just That's right. <laughs> we'll 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 put all the serious, really heavy stuff into this lighthearted joke so that <laughs> you could then look at it <laughs> and it'll land better. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. This was great. Was I'm fun. glad that it finally worked out and it was all meant to be exactly the time that it happened. And um yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah, definitely. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye. bye.